0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Cincy 360. About Cincinnati. From Cincinnati. On ESPN 1530. Here's James Rapine and Mo Egger.
1: It's hump day. It's hump day, Mo. Hump day, hump day. Happy hump day, everybody. It's a big day. It is. Yesterday was a big day, actually. For UC Hoops. It was. All right, look. So I'm watching the game. I, i and I, I was listening to the game on 700 WLW as well at times because I had dishes duty. Mm. Had to do dishes. Um, but Bearcats squeak out a win. And yep. I say squeak even though they won by 11, 49, 38, because that's how it was. Because it was 49 to 38, Mo. At halftime, it was 19 to 15. <laughs> I joked that it was the end of the first quarter. 19 to 15? Like, that's a high school score at halftime. Yeah, it was. Uh, here's
2: what's remarkable to me.
1: Was it the most entertaining? No, the,
2: the Bearcats scored 49 points mm-hmm. and covered. That's the most remarkable thing about what, last what night it, to me. What was the spread? I think it closed at eight. Most of the day it was seven and a half. <laughs> they scored. It's it's like the the Jacksonville Buffalo playoff game where it's like you know Jacksonville was favored by nine and they held Buffalo to three points and they still didn't cover. That's how bad Blake Bortles was. Mm-hmm. The, the Bearcats scored 49 points last night and still
1: covered. Yeah. It's unreal. <laughs> by, the, by the way, I, I was looking. Let me make sure here. Mm-hmm. On, let me see. Okay. So on October 8th, UCF and UC did. They went at it. Football the, game. On the football field.
2: Three-quarter game.
1: The football team for UCF scored 51. In three
2: quarters. <laughs> <laughs> think,
1: think about that. Yesterday <laughs> it was forty nine to thirty eight, yeah. But, but but ultimately, and I tweeted it out. It's a win. A win is a win is a win is a win. Oh, profound. It felt. I know, right? It, you never heard that. Did before. you see
2: the, the 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 keys of the game on on the CBS oh Sports God, Network before so the game?
1: Sweet. Make baskets. They,
2: they decided that the key for Cincinnati. I tweeted this out was make baskets.
1: And the other one was win in the trenches. <laughs> what is this football? <laughs> is it war? Because those are the two trenches. Like, are there trenches in basketball?
2: No, I think that we're talking about, like, underneath. Sure. It's going to yeah, be physical. Rebound, I got a 7'6 guy. Clark, who, yeah,
1: who dominated, by the way, and was really good. And mm-hmm. the Bearcats get a win, and it's huge. And here's Bearcats head coach, Mick Cronin, after the win.
2: You know when your players are responding to you. You know when they're, they're buying what you're selling. And uh, this group this year has been very coachable, and they've responded when I've challenged them. Not just X and O-wise, when I've challenged them uh, – to be physical and compete.
1: Yeah. Agreed. It 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 seems like, so it was 19 to 15 Mm -hmm. at halftime. They came out in within a couple minutes of play in the second half, regardless of the score. I think they were still losing. UCF hit a three and threes matter when there's 70 total points (laughs) scored. Um, But I looked and I I thought to myself, oh, they're going to win this game.
2: Well, you know, I told you off the air yesterday that I didn't feel good about it. Yeah. Because, you know, just second consecutive road game, they've been in Florida. That's, that's not the easiest team to play. They went there last year and, and, and played really poorly. You know, we've, we've seen how the Bearcats offensively can struggle away from home. And, and yet at the half, I thought, okay, you've scored 15 points. You've had a miserable shooting half. Mm-hmm. You're down four. Yeah. Like, the, the better team's going to win this game. It'd be one thing if you're down 10, 11, 14 points, something like that. Then I worry. I'm going, okay. Look, they're not going to shoot as poorly in the second half as they did in the first. My takeaway from the game was this, and I I get it. We've seen a pattern of UC basketball on the road where they just offensively, they're just just a different team. Mm -hmm. But I tend to think that that's usually less about them shooting and more about the way they play. The gripe when they played Florida in a neutral site was, you know, they just put the brakes on the offense and, and everything's in the half court and they slow down and, like, let them go, let them push, let them do those sort of things. I thought last night, especially against that team, they played at the perfect pace. They played at a pace that we often don't see them play at on the road. They just miss shots. They miss good shots. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen sometimes. I, so I kind of looked at the first half as play at that pace, get those same looks. They're going to go in in the second half. Plus, you got Gary Clark, who was just a, a monster last night. I mean, think about it. He grabbed 15 rebounds when the other team has a seven-foot-six guy. You know, 15 boards when you're outsized by their guy. His 24th double-double. Ridiculous. Most in the Mick
1: Cronin era. And
2: a quiet. Somebody texted me after the game last night and said, wait, Gary had 17 and 14? I go, no, he had 17 and 15.
1: (laughs) I mean, just it was that quiet. quiet, It was that
2: quiet. But to me, I, I get it. They score 49 points. A lot of people rolling their eyes. I viewed last night as a huge step in the right direction. They won by double digits on the road against, say what you want about this, what I think is one of the better teams in the league who got one of their best players back, they beat that team by 11 points. Look, Mick Cronin said this after the the SMU game. We we have our brand used against us. I'm paraphrasing him here. We have our brand used against us. Ah, Cincinnati basketball, they're going to rebound and play defense and those things. Well, what's wrong with that? Sometimes it's not the most visually appealing brand of basketball. I get it. Sometimes it can be tough to watch. It it was in the first half last night. But at least you can hang your hat on that when the shots aren't falling. Last night, to me, wasn't about, boy, they're playing tentative and scared and the offense is stopping. I thought everything you want to see from them offensively you saw, just the ball didn't go in. So they were able to withstand that because they're one of the best defensive teams in college basketball.
1: In a place they lost last year. Yeah. That, that's the other thing. People see UCF and it's oh, they, Bearcats should roll. Think what you want, but UCF beat them last year. They have a seven foot six guy who's honestly probably impossible to prepare for because mm-hmm. there's just no one else like him. Yeah, they were getting their leading score from a year ago back. What, you, you mentioned that. B.J. So, Taylor played yeah, last year. Yeah, night. Taylor. Yeah. So all together, it's like. And Jacob, you mentioned shooting. Jacob Evans was three of fourteen. So if your your best scorer, yeah. It's Three of 14 on the road, a team you lost to last year, regardless of the rankings, lost to last year. They have a seven foot six guy. they were up at halftime, and you still found a way to win by double digits.
2: It's a good win. December bet or a January basketball is hard. like th- this to me I- I always, I'm always interested in talking with coaches about like the, the different stages they are at in the season. I think this is so hard. If you're Cincinnati, you're two months away from the NCAA tournament. You know everybody's going to judge your season. And to an extent, the program is a whole by how you do in March, right? That's two months away. Human nature says, you know what? You're looking ahead. Everybody's talking about March. We can't bring up the Bearcats without people asking, oh, are they going to go to the Final Four? What's their seed going to be? It's hard, man. This time of year, especially college kids, mm-hmm. you're on the road. You've been there since Friday. Concentration wanes. I think it's really – I think we we under – I said this on the show last week. I think we underscore winning conference regular season championships. I don't care what league you're in. I think to go on the road in January and, and win a game where you're not at your, your best shooting and do it rather handily, I, I think that's that's something to 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 celebrate. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I, I get it. I, I, I totally get it. The Bearcats are a different team at home as opposed to how they are on the road. But they were last year, too. Here's what happened when March kicked in. They played two very good games in Connecticut. The third game in the American Athletic Conference tournament, they ran out of gas both games they played in the NCAA tournament, I think you would be happy with the way Cincinnati played. They didn't shoot it well against UCLA. Lonzo Ball goes on a ridiculous run in the second half. But that team played okay. That team didn't play tentative. That team didn't play scared. So what I saw last night was encouraging. Didn't shoot it well. That's going to happen sometimes. But they didn't play tentative. There was some aggressiveness to what they did. And they held another team to 38 points. Yeah, they
1: outscored them by 15 points in the second half. Yeah, they give up 19 in each half, 19 points. And typically on the road,
2: Jacob Evans is, is so crucial to that team. Typically on the road, if he goes three or 14, you expect them to be in a dogfight or even lose. That didn't happen. I never felt like they were going to lose that game last night. Yeah. And I thought I told you before that you know last night or yesterday while we were you know just BS and I said I got a bad feeling about tonight. Once the game started, I felt okay.
1: 49-38, Bearcats, big win. Here's Mick Cronin on the score, the low score of the game.
2: We won by 11. I'm looking at the final score, and I'm thinking about <laughs> GCL basketball back in <laughs> yes. Cincinnati. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about LaSalle Moeller right yes. now uh, in a GCL game. It's funny, you know, both teams pressed the whole game. It's not like somebody was standing there holding the ball.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, and that's – that's what I noticed. The, the press got to UCF a little bit starting mm-hmm. the second half, and that's when I noticed that the tide was going to start to turn because you get a couple easy buckets, things go your way, and the energy. The energy didn't wane. He mentioned effort. We heard that about eight minutes ago from Cronin. They had effort the whole game.
2: I thought if you go back to a couple of times last year, including the loss at Central Florida and games they won on the road, sometimes you question their energy. Mm-hmm. I didn't for a second last night. Last night was about Evans and Cumberland went 4 of 18. Yeah. Okay, you're going to struggle. What's going to happen. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. How do you figure out a way to win? Yeah. And you could say what you want about this league. Look, UC's in the American Athletic Conference, all right? Let's not, let's not go too overboard looking down our noses at some of these opponents thinking they should just roll over everybody. Whether you like it or not, and, and most of us don't, you're in the American Athletic Conference. These are the schools you're judged against. These are the schools you're going to have to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- they make up the majority of your schedule. They're not all going to be blowouts. They're not all going to be pretty. I, I took I took last night with a great amount of satisfaction. They won back-to-back road games. They were never in doubt. Now they come home play consecutive home games. Like I, I'm, i I've been glass half full with this team since the season started. Mm-hmm. I was that way after the Xavier game. I was that way after the Florida game. I'm that way now because I still feel like they have a lot that they can, a lot that they can still aspire to. I think the ceiling is higher than than people realize. Does that mean they're going to go to the Final Four? No. Does that mean they're going to go to the Elite Eight? No, does that mean they're going to get a one or two seed in the tournament? I doubt it. I just think in terms of of how they play, they can still be so
1: much better. And they're sixteen and two. Mm-hmm. They're sixteen and two, and they're getting better. He's Mo. I'm James. This is Cincy Three Sixty Noon to One every single weekday, right here on ESPN fifteen thirty. Mo, there's one one thing you mentioned the conference mm-hmm. in. in I think a lot of Bearcats fans think back to uh, the the Conference USA days uh, of domination. Mm -hmm. We talked about this at the pre-show. They've won one American Athletic Conference championship, regular season championship. Right. One. Mm -hmm. Let's stop treating it like they're the lead dog here. Yes. Are they one of the two best teams in the conference? Absolutely. But –
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: A championship. It's going to be hard to, to win the regular season and winning games like that. That's how you do it. That's how you beat out Wichita State. This isn't. This isn't like the Patriots in the AFC East. It it isn't where they've dominated it for ten years. Mm-hmm. They still have to establish themselves a little bit. I know they're 12th in the country and they're 16 and two. But winning like that, especially a team you lost to last year, it's a good thing, and it does send a message like, hey, we can win when Jacob Evans struggles, mm-hmm. when our, we're not shooting well, when the, uh, the, the team that we're going up against is really good defensively, still find a way to win.
2: If you think that Cincinnati basketball can win the national championship, okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't know who the college basketball writer was. It might have been Jay Billis. But, but he, he did a list of 16 teams that can win the national championship. Xavier and UC were both included. If you think UC is that good, you're going to have to win a game somewhere along the lines like last night's where the shots aren't falling. Maybe Evans is struggling. Maybe Cumberland's struggling. Maybe there's foul trouble. Your bench isn't giving you much. How do you win? Now, you might go, well, you're going to be playing better teams than Central Florida, and that's fair. It's worth pointing out Central Florida top 60 RPI team. Um, You know, we kind of separate wins into tiers now when it comes to the NCAA tournament uh, selection and, and so, you know, maybe the, the RPI isn't necessarily as important. But if, if you're going to win six in March, you're going to have a game that you got to figure out a way to win when a guy or two isn't hot, when these shots aren't falling, when you're getting the other team's best shot and they're an inferior opponent, and you have to win. They did that last night. I, again, I, I'm, I'm annoyingly optimistic when it comes to the Bearcats. I've been called that. I, I, I took
1: last night as a positive. How would it be a negative? Like, let's play devil's advocate here. What are the the naysayers or what are are fans that are negative about last night? What would they say? How would they look at it to belittle yesterday's win over you? They
2: would say that Central Florida is an inferior team and you got to do better than 49 points. I mean, I I have friends of mine who root for other programs that were texting me last night like, boy, you can't be happy with that. And I'm like, wait a minute. They won by 11 on the road in the conference. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Sure, the first half was ugly. They're not all
2: going to be twenty-five point wins. Look at
1: the second half; it was thirty-four to nineteen.
2: They got out rebounded because Central Florida has a, a, a seven-foot-six guy. They got out rebounded on a night where Gary Clark pulled down fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, they shot thirty-five percent. They were miserable from the free throw line, and they won by eleven points on the road. What does that say? They're going to have to win with their defense, mm-hmm. but they're better offensively. They scored 49 points last night, so it sounds weird for me to say this. This is Mick's best offensive team, and they're still great defensively. What did we say before the season started? You know, they're going to be better on offense, which they are, but boy, that, that might cost them a little bit on the other end. What are you finding out this year? They're better offensively. They're still very good on the other end.
1: Yeah, if, if a Mick Cronin coached team is ever making a deep run, it's, it's still going to hang its hat on defense. It's just how it is. It's just how he coaches. It's how it's going to be. They're going to get stops. They're going to play well defensively. They're going to pressure the ball. Right? Mm-hmm. Would you say so? Yep. I mean, so I I look at that, and even Kane Broom. Like, there's so many players that struggle. He's one of seven. Mm-hmm. And he shot a faded fadeaway three in the corner. Had one
2: night. of the worst turnovers you'll ever see. Look,
1: were there <laughs> things last night that they had to do better?
2: Yes. It's January. It's January. You know, by the way, I watched Kentucky last night in in what was – I think the most difficult college basketball game to watch I've seen all year long because there were a thousand fouls called, and I saw a team, and and this is part of what happens with with you know, just cycling through young guys, that collectively has the lowest basketball IQ I've ever seen. It's January. <laughs> yeah. Now, do we all count on John Calipari to kind of round them into shape, and they'll get smarter collectively, and they added the Vanderbilt kid last night who, you know, sort of offered good and bad, but showed great energy. Y- yes, but some of the lowest basketball iq i've ever seen Mm -hmm. and you tolerate it in in january you watch in in a year where we all feel like there's not a great team look at how flawed some of these teams are look look what happened at west virginia the other night where in the final 10 minutes of the game against a a good kansas team that a lot of people don't think is quite up to par with the typical kansas squad you're used to they allow a a, what was a 10 point lead all night evaporate because they stopped playing offense totally stopped playing offense Xavier, a top 10 team all season long, they go on the road and got boat raced by Villanova. Providence took it to them. Like, all of these teams have flaws. Cincinnati has more attributes than flaws. The flaws got to be fixed. It's January. There's time to fix them. Yeah. Hopefully you win more games and you lose along the way. Everyone has to get fixed. And this fixed. team will do that. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got to get fixed. There's no 2015 Kentucky squad that's just blowing past people. And, and and dominating. That's not the case. Everybody's got flaws. Villanova's not very deep. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everybody's got a yeah, but. Okay, so with Cincinnati, yeah, but was they didn't shoot it well last night.
1: They won by 11 points that, on the road. That's the other thing, and, and we'll close it with this. I, I look at at Cincinnati, and they have to win games like that to get a top three, four seed. They can, Like, if they're a five or a six again, that's tough. Yeah. You know? So, if they win games like that and Win the conference and maybe win the conference tournament. And end up with a three or a four. It just sets them up better for the tournament. Hard to get a three or four if you lose last night. If you lose games like that, right? Yeah, no, no doubt about. Look, I mean, last year they lost. Like everyone's focused on the tournament. They want a better seed. Winning, winning in general, is uh, one step closer to that better seed.
2: Right. I mean, look. Let's let's. Let's deal with the reality here. They're they're probably going to have to beat Wichita State at, at least one time, and then basically beat everybody else. L- last year they had a remarkable regular season, and uh, it didn't equate to a top four seed. So I mean, like I, I I tend to not really dwell on that too much until late February because I'm I'm more interested in the, in the basketball end of it. I'm, I'm more interested in in how do teams evolve and how do they get better. But and some people that sort of are thing.
1: looking ahead that was for them. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, what, what do you want? You can't control it. No, but what I'm saying is is looking if if you're that person that looks ahead, mm-hmm. they won last night. Right. There you go. And <laughs> and 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 when that win is
2: viewed, it's going to be viewed as there's a road win by 11 points. They're not going to look at the shooting percentage. They're not going to talk about eye, you know, eye, eye tests. They're not going to talk about style points. They're not going to talk about, well, you only scored 15 in the first half. They're going to see a win or a loss. Last year they went 29-5, and five, including the conference tournament, and they got a sixth seed. So you're going to have to improve upon what you did last year, which last season was an excellent season, excellent year. But Gary Clark said it in the post-game inter- interview afterwards. What didn't they do last year? Win at UCF. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you're trying to improve upon last year's seed. That means you got to do better than you did last year. What was one of the things they didn't do well last year? Win at Central Florida. There you go. They did
1: it they yesterday. Cross crossed
2: it off the list. That's yep. something they didn't
1: do last year. There you go. It's
2: called improvement.
1: He's Mo, I'm James. This is Cincy 360. Up next, former Bengals offensive line coach Paul Alexander doubled down. What?
2: I was going to tease something
1: when oh, you're done. Oh, okay. Paul Alexander doubled down on Cedric Abuehi and Jake Fisher. He's backing his guys. You'll find out what he said. And I have a guy the Bengals should hire because he's now a free agent. That's next on Cincy 360.
0: Now, Cincy 360 resumes on ESPN 1530, Cincinnati's Sports Station.
1: I'm James Rapine. He's Mo Egger. We do this every single weekday, noon to one. Here on ESPN 1530. It is great to have you in. And, Mo, you're right. The weather, we talked about it yesterday. This is the worst weather ever.
2: This is the worst weather ever. I hate this. I, I hate this. Yeah. last it's- I mean, like, th- this just feels like last night, about uh, 10 o'clock, I let my dog
1: out. So right? you let your dog out. I was, I was about to ask that. Do you have to take him out or her out? No, I just
2: opened the back door, and he okay. goes, and he walks right back in. And he like he, like, took a few steps out, and he looked at me like, dude. Like, when's this going to stop? <laughs> like, what do you got here, man? What's what's happening? Like, he just, like, looked at me
1: like, come on, man. See, my dog's the opposite. Really? He's like, snow? Oh, I'm going to jump in this, roll I'm around lucky. in it. Ju- like, And I'm like, oh, my God. And, he, he, at least he loves it, but I have to go out there with him. And I just, like, I'm like,
2: it's like, you know, four degrees out. It's snowy. It's dark. It's miserable. It's cold. And I'm just, like, staring out into the Cincinnati night going, like, Summer just feels like it's never going to get here. Spring just feels like it's never going to get here. Mm-hmm. And then I popped on the uh, the news last night, mm-hmm. Channel 9 News, because oh. Tanya O'Rourke is my favorite newscaster. She and is. the weather guy was like, oh, you know what? Sunday it's going to be like 51. And I'm like, you know, I'm like really looking forward to that because it's going to be 51. That's pathetic. That's awful. I just, this just This is miserable. This is hell. This is the abyss. This is awful. This is the opposite. I'm of sorry to put it to you that way on your lunch hour, but I just, I hate it. I hate this weather.
1: Yeah. And it sucks. It sucks. Anytime you have to go out, you have to get in your car, you have to warm it up. Ugh. I want to get to be one of those
2: like radio hosts that like keeps his job, but like he has like a winter home in Key West and he does the show three months out of the year. Like there's a lot of like, you know, big time radio hosts who do that. Yeah. Oh, he's, you know, I'm, I'm in my, my, my winter home, my studio down here in the Keys. Let's talk about the Bengals. That would be amazing. I'd like to make that happen. Instead, the
1: Bengals are in the Keys right now. <laughs> the whole team is in the Keys, and we're here.
2: So, too, is Todd Haley not coming back to be the offensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh oh, Steelers.
1: Oh, is that what you were teasing? They allowed his uh, contract
2: Asian. to expire. Sorry, oh, Bill Lazor. We're, we're hiring.
1: That, t- that was your favorite to replace Marv it,
2: until I, he was until I watched that game on Sunday.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so now, what do you think? Well, the, they're not the, going to hire Todd the Haley. Lazor Haley show, co-offensive coordinators. How do you think that would go? miserable that would be a nightmare (laughs) especially because Todd Haley reportedly is hard to work with him and Bill Lazor together I think you mentioned this
2: to me off the air I think him and Cleveland would be fun Mm -hmm. because he's kind of Mm hard-headed Hugh Jackson kind of hard-headed they might fight each other (laughs) they might fight each other on the side I'm gonna
1: run it here no I said throw it here Todd I could totally see that so Ben
2: Roethlisberger wins the little power struggle with uh, the the offensive coordinator. yep a quarterback so maybe the new offensive coordinator will allow ben to call quarterback sneaks yeah because it's ridiculous according to ben he's not allowed to do that he's a liar he is a liar
1: he's a fat-faced liar hey speaking of quarterbacks he's a
2: fat-faced liar liar. he has a fat face i have a fat face but like you could slice his cheeks and and and, like grill those man
0: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper
2: like, he has one of those guys where, you know, like, the actual face is this big, but the actual head is this big. That dude's face is enormous. It's a big face. And, and by the way, that's okay. Um, speaking of quarterbacks. Yeah. The Blake Bortles Foundation. Yeah. I got an update from them this morning. $10,000 of donations from Bengals fans. You
1: started this.
2: I did. I'm, you
1: started this. How about that? I
2: did start this. I'm gonna. No, I'm gonna pat myself you on the should. back. No, absolutely. Or as as Channel Five said yesterday afternoon, a Cincinnati sports talk radio host. Stop it. Like, gee, Sheree, thanks.
1: What? Yeah. Yeah. They I, say who?
2: They're like a Cincinnati sports they, they talk radio sh- host. They didn't show your picture. No, they're like, and I'm like, well, your G- video. God, You've been there. It was Sheree Palello who I've never met before, but I'm thinking like, you know, like what what. I would do the research. If I saw a Cincinnati news anchor, I'd be like, well, I wonder who it was. Was it Sheree Palillo? You know, who was it? Trisha Mackey? Was it Mike Dardis? Who was it? I would do a deep dive. But anyway, $10,000 in donations from about awesome. uh, 400 Bengals fans. Which and is, is really what, cool. What does
1: it go to again? It goes to first responders. They uh,
2: they they do a couple of different things. They have some initiatives that uh, aid people with uh, developmental disabilities and also uh, first responders in the uh, in the Jacksonville area and a couple of other Florida communities. But yeah, it's really cool.
1: Mm-hmm. It's really cool. All right, so let's get to. It is really cool. I wasn't trying to belittle it or downplay no, it's, it. No, it it's it's cool. It's There's really nothing cool. else to say. Shout out to Blake Bortles. Shout, shout out to Blake Bortles. Shout out to the mediocre quarterbacks in the NFL having great foundations. <laughs> like Blake Bortles and Andy Dalton. Thank you. Like seriously, <laughs> making a difference. Even and I can't really rip Blake, Bo- Blake Bortles. He's in the AFC Championship game. But even though you're not that great, you're making a Blake great Bortles
2: has two playoff wins.
1: Blake Bortles beat the Steelers twice this year. Oh. Hey, translation: The Bengals need Blake Bortles. <laughs> This is NC360. I'm James. He's Mo. (laughs) Speaking of of mediocre, Paul Alexander. Oh. And not him. I thought you meant Mo speaking of mediocre. No, no, no. Paul Alexander, the Bengals' former offensive line coach. Yeah. He's defending his guys. Told Jeff Hobson, Bengals.com. Everyone is going to hammer Cedric and Fisher, as in Cedric Obwehi and Jake Fisher. But a year from now, you'll say, Paul was right. These guys are good. Alexander told Hobson Tuesday as he drove around Dallas looking for a place to live for the first time in over two decades. <laughs> so, going into year four, like, mm-hmm. and, and I get it, like, he's, they've been punching bags. And Paul Alexander, from all every, what we know, he was in the draft room saying, We want Fisher, we want Abwehi, in a static that he got both. Mm-hmm. Neither one has performed up to par. Mm hmm. My question for you, Mo, is what are the the odds chances or, or chances that a year from now we really are saying, wow, Cedric Abuehi, wow, Jake Fisher, they are pretty good. Not even really good. They are pretty good. I mean, based on what I've seen,
2: uh, those chances are slim. <laughs> I, I don't blame Paul for saying what he said. In fact, I, I there's a part of me that thinks it's, it's kind of cool, you know? Sure. Like, hey, don't give up on these guys. They're not my guys anymore. You know, don't give up on these guys. I, like, I, I think that's I think that's kind of neat. Um, but based on what we've seen, look, I'll certainly allow for the, the possibility that a guy in year four will start to get it, West Denard. You know, that happened this year. Darquez played really well for a guy that couldn't get on the field last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe the light bulb comes on. Maybe just newer coaching methods or a different voice. Maybe someone that he meshes better with in, in Randy Pollock. Maybe. Uh, and, and first of all, for Jake Fisher, you just hope he's healthy enough to play. Sure. And then obviously once he does, he's he's got to play better. Um, maybe that happens, but you have to have insurance in case it doesn't. And that insurance can't come in the form of bargain basement guys, you know, low round draft choices that you're taking a flyer on. The, the dudes who played at the end of the year last year and played quite well that hadn't been given an opportunity. Like, I, I certainly hope that, oh boy, he and Fisher play better, but I need something to protect me in case that doesn't happen because the odds are it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, it, it, the, the one thing that's interesting is he backed it up with other players that struggled early. He said, uh, and this, again, is Paul Alexander to Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com. He said, remember when Tennessee wanted to get rid of Taylor Luan? Uh-huh. their best lineman now. He said, and Eric Fisher was terrible for Kansas City, and Jake Matthews wasn't playing well for Atlanta. Those guys are good players now. It doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it does. Willie Anderson was pretty good when he was young. Andrew Whitworth was good when he was young. Most of those guys – most guys are not that way. Yeah. That's a good point. hmm But I also don't blame fans for saying, well, he's in year four. got to figure out something else like you said. Exactly. We, we got to get someone else in place. And by the way, if it works out and Cedric O'Boy, he's really good, and they draft another mm-hmm. left tackle in round two, and he ends up being really good, I'm sure – I'm sure new offensive line coach. he's slipped my mind. Uh, Randy Pollock. Is it? It's Frank. Frank Pollock. I'm Pollack. sorry. Who's yeah. Randy Pollock? I don't know. Yeah. Frank, Frank. Pollock. Frank. I'll yeah. get used to his I, name I knew soon. Pollack. I Frank Pollock. But I'm sure if a boy he pans out and their draft picks pan out from this year, or a free agent pans out, Frank will be like, "Oh, I'll find a way to use these guys." Yeah. After the past two years. I'd rather have too many offensive linemen than not enough. Isn't
2: that the idea? Have a surplus, right? It, I mean, that's that's kind of the the the, the 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 idea is is to have too many guys. I mean, it's it's sort of like, you know, back where they were in the mid two thousands, Eric Steinbach became kind of expendable because they had too many guys. Yeah. They had Levi Jones, Willie Anderson, Andrew Whitworth. I mean, they had they had too many guys. Now you could say, well, they, they shouldn't have let uh, Eric get away, and that's fine. But but that's that's kind of the idea here. But what you can't do is ride or die with Cedric Oboyahe and Jake Fisher and then just, okay, we'll fill out the roster with just random dudes. No, you have to heavily invest. Now, that doesn't mean you have to use the 12th overall pick on a lineman. That's often where we go whenever we talk about who should they draft. We come down to what's the biggest need. Well, if need doesn't match quality, then you don't take a lineman in the first round. Mm -hmm. But I think we do expect them to invest earlier in the draft in offensive linemen, and also take a stab at getting someone in free agency. Um, you have to do those things. You can't just say, look, Cedric, you're the guy no matter what. That doesn't work. He hasn't earned that, neither has Jake Fisher. So, yeah, can those two guys play themselves into good NFL players? Of course they can. I- I've, I've seen a lot of guys who struggled and then somehow, for whatever reason, they, they started to get it. It clicks. Late bloomers, it clicks, whatever it is. They, they finally, the, the system works, whatever it is. But you have to protect yourself against that not happening. You protected yourself against what's going to happen when Whitworth and, and Andre Smith leave. You did that by drafting Obwehi and Fisher. Unfortunately, it's blown up in their face. Now you have to protect yourself against what if Cedric Obwehi isn't good? What if Jake Fisher isn't good? And if those guys aren't good, then you have to admit they're not good and play the other guys.
1: And the, the one thing I will say, in Paul being so loyal, I think it is more likely now that Frank Pollock comes in and says, Cedric, a boy, he can't play a lick. He's not yeah. going to be as loyal. He, he, it's not his guy. No, he, he didn't draft, draft for him. him. In, yeah. the, in the draft room, he hasn't worked with him for years. So if a boy, let's just say a boy, he continues to be bad, well, Frank Pollock will say, "Oh yeah, he sucks." <laughs> we're going to go get someone else, or we're we're going to find a way to make him better, or, or whatever it is. But you're not going to get the bias that comes with being attached to some of these players, and that's just a part of coaching. Mm-hmm. Like. Everyone says, oh, I'm the John Ross guy. Yes, I want John Ross to succeed. Why? Part of it's because I, what I saw and what I thought about him. The other part is, yeah, I stuck my neck out and said it 800 times that it was the right pick. Yeah. You know, Paul Alexander's done that. He's the coach. By the way, one more thing here um, on, on this whole Paul Alexander thing, another note from Hobson's story. Mm-hmm. Basically, and, and I'll paraphrase this. Or, no, I won't. It's fine. It's easy. I, I told him I wasn't coming back, Alexander said. As in, he told Marvin he wasn't coming back. He went on to say he thought that Lewis was thinking the same thing. Mm -hmm. But it was Paul Alexander who kind of made the decision. Contract up. I need a change of scenery. It's time to see what's out there. Obviously, he landed in a great situation with Dallas. Yeah, But that's interesting to me because I think the Bengals, not intentionally, maybe not on their end, but, but the public perception was, oh, the Bengals are moving on from Paul Alexander. Doesn't seem like that was the case. I don't know. I it, mean, I, just I, according I to what I, this I, quote. I, I I don't
2: know. You know, he he had a statement on on the day that we found out that he wasn't coming back, where he was very complimentary of Marvin, very complimentary of the organization. Uh, he doesn't seem like the bridge burning type of guy. He was here for a very long time. I I don't, I don't know the dynamic. I, I'm gonna guess that it was a mutual thing. Mm-hmm. That you know, and Paul alluded to it. Marvin's head might have been in the same place. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna guess that it was a mutual thing. Um, but, yeah, you know, look, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does in Dallas. And he, he talks on the piece with Jeff Hobson about how he's never had what he's walking into in Dallas. Three Pro Bowl caliber uh, linemen, a right tackle that he's high on, a line, a line that uh, two years ago in 2016 people were talking about being the best in football, one of the most dominant of all time. And he walks
1: into pretty much the same group of guys. So That's like going to, like, Indianapolis, barring Andrew Lux healthy. And he hasn't, like a stat, hasn't won a Super Bowl or anything. But young and one of the best young quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the league, going to be the quarterback's coach of Indy. Yeah. It's like the perfect gig. Right? Like yeah. if you're gonna be an offensive line coach, that's where you want to be the offensive line. Yeah, coach.
2: he's not starting from scratch. He doesn't have to just, you know, patchwork the offensive line, at least at the outset. I mean, he he has something to work with. So, you know, I think it's gonna be interesting to see can that line return to the level of play that we saw two years ago and how much of that is put on Paul Alexander. Um, yeah, I have no reason to root against him. I hope the new guy comes in and does a great job here. But, yeah, I mean, the, the first order of business is they're going to give Cedric he every chance to succeed. Mm-hmm. Organizationally, they're going to give him every conceivable chance to succeed. The new guy has to make sure that that happens.
1: He's Moam I'm James. This is Cincy 360. Up next, the Reds haven't made many moves this offseason. But neither have many teams across the league. We'll explain why that favors the Reds next on Cincy 360.
0: Cincy 360 continues on ESPN 1530, Cincinnati's sports station.
1: 12.43, I'm James Irpin. This is ESPN 1530 and Cincy 360, which airs every single day right here, noon to one. By the way, speaking of, of airing every single weekday, Mo's three to six today. Oh. What do what we got on tap today, Mo? Even though I know
2: we are going to talk with uh, Louisville bats manager Pat Kelly. Pat Kelly, three thirty. Yeah. Rick Broering's going to talk Xavier basketball at three forty-five, and some other stuff. You
1: know what's interesting? We started the show with with UC mm-hmm. and Xavier. Every time early in the season they beat a team, and UC was one of those teams that they had lost to the previous year. Mm-hmm. It was the revenge game. Revenge tour. UC did that yesterday with UCF. Might not have been a, it might not have been the best. Hmm. Revenge, yeah. they went to Well, they,
2: they beat SMU earlier this year. Got to beat revenge them tour. there, but I mean, yeah, Revenge Tour. Yeah. They dominated them here. Maybe they'll get a chance. Well, they That's beat UCLA? UCLA? Beat him in the NCAA tournament? Revenge, revenge to- Tour for the Bearcats.
1: How, How about good this? Is college Hoops here. It's the Revenge Tour. So they lost to
2: SMU twice last year, Central Florida, Butler, and UCLA.
1: They've gotten them all but
2: Butler. maybe they'll get a chance to play Butler in March.
1: Maybe just maybe. Maybe. I'm James Easmo. This is Cincy 360. Let's let's dive into this this Reds topic in, in Major League Baseball. Because there hasn't been much activity from any team. It's this been the off-season. most
2: boring offseason ever.
1: You know, San Francisco doing a couple things, which is cool. Andrew McCutcheon, Evan Longoria. Obviously the Yankees, they go big every year and and get someone. Giancarlo Stanton obviously goes there. But outside of that Haven't been many noteworthy moves, Mel. And I was thinking about this, and we discussed it, obviously. And it's, I think it favors the Reds. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that all these these players out there are are still available. You mentioned Jake Arrieta in our pre-show meeting. Uh, Players like Todd Frazier aren't even the top free agents available We're a month from spring training. Mm -hmm. That, to me, I think favors the Reds. and, And here's why I think that. Obviously, small market obviously the Reds and Dick Williams aren't going to go out and get some of these top, big-name free agents, right? Right. Over the past couple years, they've landed Dan Straley. They've landed Scooter Jeanette like Mm -hmm. right before the season started. Mm -hmm. On normal years when free agents are going to these big teams, are getting paid, are going places, and yet Dick Williams finds these diamonds in the rough. Mm -hmm. If he can do that in those years, I wonder what he can find or what they can do with the money, the assets that they have in a year where it seems like some pretty good players are going to be available close to spring training,
2: yeah, I, I, I get where you're going. Um, and 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 maybe they they land someone who they typically wouldn't be able to get because that person's just looking for a gig and the prices have come down. And and maybe I tend to look at the current conditions around the game as a positive for the Reds because. For whatever reason, and there's a great Jeff Passon piece on Yahoo Sports, and it's it's very lengthy about you know some of the conditions, the financial conditions in baseball, and and how they're affecting, and the, the, some of the current methods of thinking, how they're affecting what's happening with player movement, free agency, and stuff. I kind of think though you're seeing there's a premium being placed on winning with your own guys, drafting, developing, keeping the right guys. That's what the Reds have to do. That's how they're going to win. Sure, All right? So now free agency. And and it's it's taken – I think it's taken a, a longer time than it should have for baseball to wise up to the fact that free agency is kind of a sham for the teams. I mean, think about it. You get a guy – let's say a guy's a rookie, 24, 25 years old. You control him for the first six years. Then he's a free agent. You're paying for the down years. We all agree that the athletes are best in their 20s, maybe early 30s. But now, like after six years, okay, guy's going to be about 30 years old. Zach Kozar hit free agency this year, 32 years old. Mm-hmm first time ever and
1: that was one we you and i both said hell why me. would you do we that right keep it so
2: now the the sport itself as a whole is is wising up to the fact that okay you know what paying paying a guy a lot of money for production he put forth when he was 28 when he's 36 doesn't make much sense okay well the reds aren't after those guys anyway so there's a premium on winning with your own guys developing a great farm system now the, the the other end of that is well it, you know maybe it, it it makes it a little bit more difficult to fortify your team when you're already good because you know whatever but I mean I, I just I feel like I, I feel like this model as weird as it might sound is good for teams like the Reds mm-hmm. because the free agency is no longer to tilt the scales and now everybody's just trying to make and develop the best organizations. There's a premium now on having the best run organization and not being able to, you know, you know, cover up issues with money. And I think that favors a team like the Reds.
1: Well, you hear about it all the time with it, it, let, average baseball fan. Oh, well, the Yankees have a bigger budget. They're going to go. They're going to win. Of course, they're going to win. They're the Yankees. That's how they, they say it. The mm-hmm. Cubs, they would say the same thing. Even though a lot of the Cubs players were, were developed, like Chris Bryant developed from within. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I think it does. It does give the Reds. More of a chance if the Yankees aren't going to go out, if if some of these big franchi- franchises, the Angels, they always do this, too. They always make big moves, the Dodgers. Uh, if they're not going to go out and spend a ton of money and they're going to build from within, doesn't it level the playing field at least some? Yeah. It doesn't base it on the budget. It and it brings, that out and it
2: brings back the prices for free agents, mm-hmm. right? Which... That helps teams like the Reds that can't spend as much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the it, it's going to be interesting, and, and the passing piece kind of alludes to this. The the current CBA is up in 2021. Players the last go around, they sought things like seats on buses during spring training games, a chef in the clubhouse, more off days during the season. That They've gotten all that stuff. It It really kind of felt like financially they really didn't aim for anything. And so now the whole free agency thing, look, the sport as a whole – I think has got to be looking at the NBA, going, wait a minute, they have a lot of player movement, and that's become really good for their league. Maybe we take that page. At the same time, teams are going to want to control players for their best years. Right now, in six seasons, players would love would love to hit free agency. Would love to hit free agency after three years or four years or five years instead of six. But then, you know, clubs are going to say, fine, we'll do that, but we're gonna we're gonna seek a, a lowering of the uh, minimum salary. I think it's going to be interesting to see what free agency looks like in five years because right now it's non-existent. There's a ton of guys you could field a playoff team with the guys who are still
1: out there. And what's interesting about that? Well, you mentioned Zach Cozart. How lucky or how excited? Not lucky. How happy is he right now that he signed a three-year, thirty-eight million-dollar deal? Mm-hmm. Honestly, in this in this market in this climate, I'm surprised. Aren't you? No. Like, looking back at that? I'm not surprised. Not because of Zach. It's just all the talent that's out there. I'm not surprised because of the
2: team that he went to. Mm -hmm. Because that team saw a need for an infielder. Apparently, he's going to try to play third base. So, that that doesn't surprise me. The fact that he got the dollar figure that he got is a little surprising, at least. But uh, the team that he went to being willing to spend, it's the Angels. That doesn't surprise me.
1: Just in hindsight. Not 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 the Angels. Yeah, sure, no, no. Teams. Your your, your point. Just, your point market, is right. There, there are players.
2: Right. Your point is that they're are better players than Zach Kozar still looking for gigs. Mm-hmm. That's very fair. Yeah.
1: So let's. We got about three minutes left in the show. I'm going to get your prediction here. Yeah. What are the? Do you think the Reds add a, sub, a substantial difference maker between now and, between now and spring training? And by that, I don't mean necessarily a big name I don't mean necessarily someone that we think will be a difference maker the day they sign but a Scooter Jeanette a Dan Straley someone like that that has an impact well
2: understand year. those guys were, were cut loose by teams mm-hmm. Dan, Dan Straley was let go by the A's yep. Scooter Jeanette was let go by the Brewers you know that's that's lightning that only hits so often so are you getting that guy I mean look I'm, I'm sure when players get cut at the end of, of spring training the Reds will certainly look at guys that can come in and help but you know Dan Straley I mean they didn't even know what his role was going to be and he was a starter because the entire starting rotation that year began the season on the DL Scooter Jeanette got a chance because he could play a thousand different positions so and and you know, really for the first two months of the year he just came off the bench and he played a you know accordingly based on who might need a night off or who was banged up so you know it wasn't like Scooter Jeanette was brought in here, and we were like rubbing our hands together, like, "Oh, we got Scooter Jeanette!" Exactly. Right. So, will they get that kind of guy? Sure. Um, but I, I, I kind of tend to. This is from an off-season standpoint. I think even if the sport as a whole was really active, I think this would have been a boring off-season for the Reds because they've gone from the the the, the part where they were selling off assets and acquiring assets, and now they're trying to figure out what their assets are. And then hopefully we get to a point where they like where, where their assets are and now they figure out where they can add to put them over the top. But they're not close to that yet. So to me, the the Reds, this off season would have would have taken place no matter what the sport as a whole would have looked like.
1: Does it make it more likely that maybe they add something though? Sure, maybe someone falls is? in their lap.
2: Yeah. You know, maybe maybe someone who,
1: I, th- I, I tend to think they try to add someone between now and
2: then. Yeah, maybe someone who just needs a job and is willing to take less money because now they're desperate for a gig. And you know what? I'll sign a one-year prove-it contract in Cincinnati. Sure. But but I think they would almost view that guy as in the way. And where's he going to play? You know, they they in the outfield, do you need a fifth outfielder? Because they, they're going to play Billy Hamilton, and they want to see what Jesse Winker can do. He ain't going to play first base. Maybe there's a second baseman out there, but I think they like Scooter Jeanette. They want to give Peraza every chance to show he could play shortstop. Yeti Eugenio Suarez, you're not going to find a third baseman better than him. They love their catcher. So now you're talking about pitchers. Okay, is there, a, is there a pitcher that you can get for a year that you can stick in the rotation? Sure. Brian Price, I think, would argue that guy is now in the way of someone piling up innings, of, of learning on the they job, of us finding out something about they him. They couldn't use another reliever. Oh, absolutely. Now, they're, they're, now you're talking about someone that now, see, to me, that to me is the most important. Mm-hmm. Because if you want to be more competitive this year, the first place you start is that bullpen, which as the year wore on last year was such a wreck.
1: Yeah, they wore down. He's Mo, I'm James. This is Cincy 360. 3 o'clock today, Mo. What do we got? 3 o'clock today, we are going to ask UC
2: fans to stop looking down their noses at wins like last night's. I'm on board with that. 16-2. and two. Yeah. Top 15 team. Top 30 of the RPI. Going to the NCAA tournament, got a very good team, exceptionally likable team. By the way, you got two more months of Gary Clark. I wish savor that. I wish the Bengals would go sixteen and two one. This is the season we've been begging for for a long time. He's Don't know Mo. what it's going to
1: do in March. This is the season we've been begging for. Begging like last year. He's back at it at three oh three. I'm James. He's Mo. Thank you for listening to Cincy three sixty on ESPN fifteen thirty.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?